Welcome, everybody. Today is September 22nd, 2021. I can't believe that, actually. Near the end of September, I'm excited for the fall and winter here. I'm, I am Trey Dobson, Chief Medical Officer at Southwestern Vermont Medical Center and an emergency medicine physician with Dartmouth-Hitchcock Health. And this is Medical Matters Weekly, a show about the aspects of healthcare that matter to you most. And my guest today is Ayla Ellison, as she told me, like Kayla, except Ayla. Uh, she's the editor-in-chief of Becker's Hospital Review, which is really a leading uh, source of information for healthcare executives and someone who has a tremendous view of healthcare industry uh, as a whole. Uh, throughout the nation, actually. Um, she is based in Chicago, and that's where she is joining us today, I believe. Are you in Chicago, Ayla? I am joining you from Chicago today. Awesome. Welcome. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me today. Are you actually downtown Chicago? I am. So I, I w- I'm about a 10-minute walk from Wrigley Field. Uh, oh, that, that's where I'm at today. Our, our Becker's office, though, is on State Street, which is right in the loop. Oh, great. And um, you joined Becker's as a reporter in 2014? That's correct. So it's been a long seven and a half, about seven and a half years with Becker's. Um, before that, I was uh, practicing law in Chicago, and then uh, joined the Becker's team writing about some legal and regulatory issues and uh, still here today. That's great. Well, I'm excited to um, hear a little bit about Becker's Review. Of course, uh, I've been reading for a long time uh, since I got into healthcare and, and leadership, but probably most people in the community uh, aren't familiar and, and most doctors in the system are, are not familiar. Uh, but first, so you talk about Chicago. Are, are you guys in the office? Or are you working remote? We're mostly, I would say we're 90% remote. So our office is open and um, we are allowing individuals to go in uh, on a voluntary basis if they would like. Uh, what we've found over the last few months is um, most of the team is just prefers to, to work remotely and to stay in their homes. We're, we're hoping that uh, as numbers, uh, de- COVID numbers decrease in Chicago and um, we start to, to see things improve, that we'll be back in the office. But right now, most of our team is still working remotely. And what do you, before we get into the work aspect, what do you do when you're not working for, for Becker's? Are you um, an outdoors person? Are you, uh, what are your interests? So I will say during the months of May through October, I'm an outdoors person in Chicago. So I try to get outside as much as possible. I love running, um, try to get to the lakefront and run. Uh, but once November hits, I am indoors. The, the, the winters in Chicago are brutal and I will emerge again next spring. <laughs> That's great. Well, actually, we're going to get you out to Vermont to do some skiing. How's that? That sounds great. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about um, about Becker's and, and what it means and, and then eventually how you got into what you do. Yeah, so Becker's Hospital Review, um, it was started many years ago uh, by our publisher, Scott Becker, which is where um, our publication gets its name. And really, um, our focus every day is just getting the, the most important news information to hospital health system leaders across the country. So, um, you know, that began uh, in, in the beginning, it was really focused on ambulatory surgery centers and spine centers. And then we expanded to hospitals, health systems, and we continue to grow and add new channels and lines um, as we see the need to 
um, help inform new readers. So we've added uh, more clinical focus lines in recent years, and we're starting to write about labs and, and some other services as well. So really our, our number one goal every morning, every day is just to make sure we're getting the most important information to those decision makers in healthcare. Yeah, so I imagine both for uh, quality reviews so they can improve the quality of their systems, uh, their financial sustainability, uh, workforce issues, it kind of goes the gamut from my recollection of, of reading. It, it really does. So we have a CFO line, a CEO line, um, our clinical and uh, quality and infection control line. So we really try to tailor everything that we're writing and our newsletters to specific uh, personas within the C-suite to make sure they're getting the information they need. So um, a chief medical officer may not be as interested in the finance finance side, maybe. Um, but so we really try to tailor that information to our specific audiences that we're targeting. That's great. Do you um, do you have reporters that cover Vermont specifically? We do not have a Vermont specific line yet. Could be something we pursue in the future. Although we do, we do write about healthcare in Vermont, and there are some unique things that um, you know are happening there. So um, it. it it, we definitely uh, cover hospitals and health systems in Vermont. That's great. Um, by the way, you're, you're right. There's a lot of unique, th unique things that happen in Vermont that, you know, maybe not be uh, as applicable to other parts of the country, but I think we can all learn from each other. And that's what I get out of uh, the publication is just the ability to share information, learn uh, and improve patient care. That's the ultimate goal. Uh, so that's fantastic. How did you move from, from your previous career in law, though, into, well, I guess you started out as a reporter. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So um, after graduating from law school, I, I went directly into practicing law. First joined a, a small general practice where I was doing everything from bankruptcy to divorce. Um, and then I uh, shifted gears, was doing some personal injury work. And really over those years that I was doing that, I realized the things I loved about practicing law, I didn't need to practice law to do them. So I loved the research, the writing aspect of it, um, but not being in the courtroom every day. That wasn't uh, what I realized that's not what I wanted to do. So um, like I mentioned, our, our publisher at Becker's, his name's Scott Becker. He's also, um, he's a healthcare attorney as well. And uh, he was looking for someone to write about healthcare legal and regulatory issues. Um, and some health IT issues for Beckers and connected with him. And that's how I joined the Beckers team all those years ago. It's awesome. And, and it is a difference, but I imagine you were writing a lot before. That was a big responsibility for attorneys that people don't realize. And now you're writing and now you're in editing uh, for it really healthcare is, can be so broad. Um, and that's probably why Scott got into it as well. Let's just talk a little bit about some of the things you, you cover. Um, I had this list going that you may have seen, and, and I don't want to just throw it all out there, but let's talk about some things that are um, most on the fore forefront of healthcare today, besides COVID. I'll put that to the side, because uh, I think everyone is tired of talking about COVID. Let's just talk about health healthcare reform. What trends are you seeing out in the nation? Yeah, so when we're talking to hospital health system executives across the country, we see some common themes, trends come through. And I think everyone recognizes what the problems are in healthcare. Um, it's not accessible to all um, healthcare, health insurance. It's 
it's not affordable for many. And I, you know, most executives we talk to, they realize the need to address these issues. But what we find is over the years that progress is slow. So although from the federal level and, and sometimes at the state level, there are reforms that are rolled out. I think, um, you know, as you know, and, and, and the, the listeners today know, healthcare is an extremely complex industry. So when I think it comes to actually addressing these issues of, um, you know, accessibility, affordability, um, it, there, it, there is progress being made in some areas, but um, it's, it's slow. And, um, you know, I, there's, of course, still a lot of work to do. Right. And you, I think you're exactly right. The audience knows the, of all the problems, but are looking for solutions. And one of the reasons that um, you're in your role and Beckers exist is for that, again, that communication uh, between uh, healthcare organizations and, and rapid news so they can try to um, make those changes. I will say, you know, one of the things that I see that's such a problem is just, it's just complexity. Um, all of the healthcare reform initiatives are well thought out. They have excellent intentions, but they're so complex and they require so many resources that it is hard um, it's hard to operationalize what you might sit in, in a back room and draw up on a, on a blackboard. And I think that gives your Vermont um, a little bit of an edge just with the lower population, um, a little simpler uh, 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 lifestyle in regards to urban versus non-urban areas and allows us to experiment a bit. But I will say even with the experiments that we've undertaken, the complexity is just enormous. And I imagine you're seeing that in, in all parts of the country. Absolutely. And I think you touched on something that's really important. You know, something that's working well in Vermont may not work well in California. Something that's working in Chicago may not work in rural Southern Illinois. So I think it's um, those complexities that you're running into. It, it's, it's inspiring and exciting when we see some of these experiments work in, um, you know, some of the, the smaller Northeastern states and, and things go well. And it's, but I think it's also, like you said, it's a learning experience when things, when things don't go well either. So it's, I, you know, it's something where, um, you know, the complexities that there, um, there are many, but, um, you know, I think that there are, um, you know, states, cities, even just individual hospitals and health systems that are doing things today that um, that I get excited about and keep me hopeful that for the future of healthcare. Me too. You know, when I think about simplicity, um, I also think about standardization, and and that's been a buzzword in the um, industry for probably twenty years. If we can standardize more, like. Um, other occupations and other professions and, and other industry that uh, will be able to have more reliable, predictable outcomes. But unfortunately, uh, state laws vary, um, locales vary in, in their populations of people, what's important, what diseases exist, and it makes it so difficult to have that standardization. And again, uh, in Vermont, we have a little bit of an advantage in that we can uh, take it, we can move forward with certain initiatives, try to have um, processes in place in every hospital system and in every healthcare system. What we don't have is a United uh, Electronic Medical Record. That would be um, something that would help our system quite a bit and allow us to make changes in one location and, and put those changes out everywhere. So when you're, um, you know, researching the uh, entire country, what other, besides healthcare reform, what other initiatives are you seeing out there that are sort of rising to the top of importance right now? 
So I think one of the things um, kind of tying back to what you were saying about electronic health records, one of the things we're, we're seeing right now, um, especially over the past you know, two years of, of the pandemic is really um, the, the emphasis on the use of technology and how it's being used to connect patients to care during the pandemic. So, um, you know, we saw the, let's see, in March 2020 and in those first few months of the, of the pandemic, uh, a huge uptick in, in telehealth use ac across the nation. And, um, and since then, we've seen different health systems and hospitals build out their programs even more for um, to provide at-home uh, monitoring, at-home health, um, and really just continuing to improve upon the, um, you know, their infrastructure and in the, in the telehealth um, services that they're offering as well. Um, but it, it, one of the things that I've, I've heard a lot from different uh, hospital um, chief information officers and those involved on the technology teams is that the pandemic clearly created so many challenges for, for hospitals and health systems, but it's also accelerated some of their plans that they already had in place in terms of um, re related to technology. So um, it's, been, it's been really interesting to see how quickly um, some hospitals have been able to scale up the use of that technology to provide uh, care to patients during the pandemic. Yeah, that's great. You know, we, um, we are fortunate here at Southwestern Vermont Medical Center uh, through our uh, relationship with Dartmouth-Hitchcock that we had actually put in place a lot of telemedicine prior uh, to the pandemic. Most of it was inpatient telemedicine, uh, and so it, it's, it continues to be um, highly utilized and a great resource for our patients and our staff. Um, but we were able to move quickly, as, as were many places throughout the country, with some outpatient telemedicine services that um, had a uh, a particular place in a particular time. And I think they're going to even out uh, sort of a balance between um, in-person in medicine and telemedicine. You know, neither is the panacea. People thought telemedicine would be the answer to uh, all of our healthcare concerns. And it's really not, but it's certainly a great adjunct uh, when it's used properly. And we're not there yet uh, as, a, as a country. And we're not there yet at Southwestern Vermont Medical Center, but we're getting closer. You talked about EMR, and um, I will tell you, to, to someone who's listening in the audience out there, they just throw their hands up and say, why can you guys not get this together? Uh, the airline industries have gotten together. I can make an appointment and get an air, air, air flight uh, anytime I want, and it works for the most part. Uh, there's many other you know, online food ordering and banking that you can do everywhere, but you guys cannot get it together. And I would say you're absolutely right. Uh, we can't get it together, but we are trying and it is much better than it used to be. Um, we're still in those you know, really infant stages. And the reasons are they have to do with the um, regulatory environment. It is more complex. The uh, laws on patient confidentiality maybe swung a little bit too far and make it difficult for us to put in place things to make that make it frankly easier to take care of you. And then also there is the cybersecurity concerns, which are just growing and growing. And you know, it's one thing if you're ordering, placing an or, uh, online dinner order and someone gets your credit card, you know, through fraud, you can cancel that. But that's not, that's not the case with your medical records. And we've seen that uh, University of Vermont Medical Center shut down uh, last year and, and caused a lot of problems due to cybersecurity issues. 
Um, and now I just spoke a lot. So Ayla, can you just tell me anything you want to add to that or some trends you're seeing with, with cybersecurity? So I think everything you just said is spot on as far as what we're seeing across the country. Um, the, the cybersecurity issues um, that hospitals and health systems are facing are just enormous at this time. Um, I think that they're increasingly becoming targets for um, cyber attacks. And we're seeing, you know, the like you touched on, there's the value, the valuable information that, um, you know, is in a patient record. So you have someone's name and their address and potentially their social security number and other things. And so these records um, can be sold. And, and also, like you mentioned as well, when there are these attacks, it can completely shut down um, a hospital or health systems, um, you know, IT and technology. So, um, then the, the impact that has on patient care um, is concerning as well. So um, it's definitely something that I, I know what we're, we're hearing from um, our readers as well that's top of mind and how to continue to stay in front of these threats and, and to, you know, to, to avoid them. But a lot, it, it seems like the, the message right now that I hear from a lot of, of hospital executives is just like, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and then how, how you respond to that. So um, it, it's the, the threat to, the, to hospitals and health systems right now um, for these cyber security issues. It's just, um, it, it's really, we've seen just a huge increase over in recent years. Yeah, you know, um, it may surprise some people in the audience, but I bet it doesn't surprise most to know that for years, for example, uh, our hospital system in, in Southwestern Vermont Medical Center gets uh, pinged on a, on a more than weekly basis, nearly a daily basis with uh, cyber attack attempts. Now, these are typically small, they're typically, you know, an international attempt, and we've got um, in place uh, the tools to stay ahead of these, but it gets more and more expensive. And it's something that many industries face, but again, healthcare is unique in that way. I'll give another example um, though, that I know people can relate to of, of why uh, the troubles that they have and, and an explanation of, of why that might be. Hospital portals are notoriously difficult to access, even for people that, you know, that signed up for the portal. And we've gotten, they're much more simpler now that, you know, they're typically uh, one to two password protected, uh, some type of of security, but they're still frustrating compared to online banking, for example, which is a little more friendly. Uh, but that's just an example of how we are getting better in healthcare. We will get there, um, but we're just behind a bit. And again, it has to do with uh, some of the security and requirements behind protected health information or PHI as it's called. Um, I'll move from that real quick and just talk a little bit about consolidation. I uh, would love to hear some of your thoughts, the trend around the country in regards to hospital systems, taking on medical practices, and what you're seeing uh, out there nationally. Yeah, so across the nation, I think, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we really saw a slowdown in the amount or in the number of mergers and acquisitions we were seeing in, in the healthcare industry um, in terms of hospitals and health systems. Um, there have been a lot of transactions happening within health technology, but with, with hospitals and health systems, it, it, there was a slowdown there for a period. Um, now we're seeing, um, it, you know, more deals are, are in the works. Um, some of them are really, um, you know, gigantic uh, systems joining with other systems to make even uh, larger systems within their states. So, 
Um, there's been some interesting issues we've been looking at, um, you know, with the Federal Trade Commission, looking at some of these um, hospital mergers and, and whether they should proceed. But um, one of the things that, you know, we hear about a lot from uh, hospital executives and from smaller hospitals um, and a lot of times in rural areas is just um, kind of the, the necessity of joining with a larger system in many cases. So it's, um, you know, like you mentioned, the costs of just protecting your system from security threats is um, growing. The cost of implementing an electronic health record system is, is it can, it's expensive, especially if you're a small hospital with limited funds. So um, we're, we're continuing, that's something that's been happening for um, a long time now, but continuing to see that with some of these larger systems taking on smaller um, hospitals and sort of building out their network um, where the, the smaller hospitals, some of them in rural areas will continue to stay open and provide services, but for more complex care are sending those patients to um, the, the hospitals that um, are part of the system, but probably in, in larger cities. Right. And, and I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you uh, whether or not you think it's a good idea to have consolidation. But I will say that it's written about quite a bit in Vermont um, and it tends to be polarized like a lot of issues with some people saying that it's necessary due to uh, the cost of EM EMR, cybersecurity, uh, the inability to maintain regulatory compliance by a small organization. And then uh, other, uh, the other side of the coin is, hey, if we look at this, it really hasn't saved uh, Vermonters or it hasn't saved uh, people you know, in the country money from a, a financial standpoint and has it really improved the quality. And I can say that you know, from a perspective of a physician and then also um, a chief medical officer in our system, everyone's right there. I mean, it certainly has not saved the money that was expected in the late 80s and early 90s when consolidation really started to take off, or maybe even a little later than that. Um, and it hasn't led to the, the quality gains that, that we had hoped, but it has made some progress in, in ways that are a little bit more difficult to measure and define. And it, it's actually necessary. We will not move towards a national health system um, like exists in many countries. We're just too far uh, in, in, the, in the certain direction. And it's actually you know, not similar in the rest of the country as far as um, how healthcare works and how other industries work. But uh, we will see even greater consolidation. And then once we get past sort of an infant, uh, again, uh, position, and we grow up a bit and we get to teenage years, we will see some of those uh, positive effects from standardization, standard EMRs, uh, the ability to be seen in you know, multiple areas and still have your records right up there, which is fascinating to me. Um, if you went to one hospital in Vermont and then you go to another hospital in Vermont, you, they may not be able to pull up your records. And uh, we're getting there. It's much better than it, than it used to be. So I will kind of end with some uh, letting you grab your crystal ball and thinking, you know, not only what do you hope, but what do you see for healthcare in the future, you know, maybe 10 years out? So 10 years out and healthcare, that, that seems like a long time, but also seeing how slowly some things uh, progress in this industry, it, it, it's not that long as well. But I think my hopes for the healthcare industry um, are just that maybe we aren't going to solve all of the, the problems we've talked about today in terms of cost, efficiency, um, making sure that, you know, addressing some of these 
inequities in healthcare and making sure that care is accessible to all. Um, but I, I, I hope that we make progress. And I know that that seems like, uh, you know, if I could wish for anything in healthcare, that seems small just to hope for progress, but um, really just to, to continue to see things, you know, move forward. Um, you know, I, I'm from a, a small rural town in Southern Illinois and growing up, I, my hometown lost its hospital. It closed. The, the community had a fundraising effort to try to keep it open and it, it shut down. And so I saw the, the effects that um, losing access to healthcare can have on a community. Um, the people there, um, you know, businesses won't move into that town because there, there is no access to healthcare and just all, there's the trickle effect there. Um, so I think when I'm thinking about healthcare, I think about it in terms of, you know, I, I want, um, you know, rural healthcare to improve. I want healthcare to improve in cities um, and just making sure that um, if we can make, take any steps forward in terms of affordability, accessibility, um, that would be a win in my book. Yeah, absolutely. We, we've got to reduce the, the cost of healthcare percentage-wise. Um, it's just no longer affordable, and, and, uh, and we can do it. I, I tell you again, Vermont is pretty well positioned to look at initiatives and trials of change, uh, but we've got to focus on changing expectations, uh, especially near the end of life, and also um, decreasing the complexity that we talked about. We've got to remove some of the, of the well-intentioned regulatory um, uh, initiatives been put in place and move towards simplicity so that we can, you know, have some reliability in our outcomes. Well, I'll, I'll close with saying, um, you know, what are you looking forward to personally or professionally uh, for your next 10 years in your career? Yeah, so personally, I, um, I'm a new mom, I have a four month old. So I'm awesome. Just, yeah, I'm just looking forward to, to, you know, everything that that's going to entail over the next several years. So that's my biggest focus right now. And it's just an amazing time in my personal life. Professionally, I think I'm just ready to be back in the office to see my colleagues again, um, to write about COVID as an endemic, not a pandemic, to be able to, um, I guess, get back to whatever the new normal is going to be, but just um, ready to, to continue to write about healthcare, but um, not, not about the things we're currently covering. Well, thank you, Ayla Ellison, for joining us today from Becker's. Uh, thanks everyone else who uh, is with us today from Medical Matters Weekly, as well as Mike Cutler from CAT TV. Ray Smith from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare, Ashley Jowett from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare. Uh, I'm Trey Dobson. Go out and find joy in everything you do, even in the face of adversity, and we will see you next week.